Rhyme marches on. Yes, as part of our vast continuing public service programming to keep you abreast of what is happening in the world of science, in the world of entertainment, in the world of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness and sex, and also in pursuit of our constantly attempts to keep our fingers on the pulse of what is happening in the world, we bring you once again uh, our feature called Crime uh, Marches On. Yes, yes, and to, yes to, tonight we like to salute the... Uh, uh, like, <laughs> thank you, Al. That's all right. <laughs> God. No, no, it was my fault. I got my foot caught in the barrel there. And, uh, you know, it hooked me on the knee there, right where my knickers come down, you know, where the elastic is there. Got stuck in a the barrel there. But uh, we would like to salute tonight uh, the advancing world of crime and uh, how more interesting and exciting it is than the old days when they used to just hold up stagecoaches or guys would walk into a grocery store and say, Stick them up, buddy. Things are becoming more exciting. Have you heard of the newest type? For those of you who are out there who like to try a little exciting crime yourself, uh, have you heard of the newest type of hijacking? I mean, you know, hijacking. You know, you know what I'm talking about, hijacking. You know, the, the airplane hijacking. There's a new type of hijacking has become an international problem in recent years. Uh, a new type of hijacking has been developed in Great Britain. So much of the Western culture that we live in has come from that, uh, that sainted isle. Uh, what was it Winston Churchill called it? Uh, what was it Winston Churchill called it? Uh, <clears throat> and what was it Shakespeare called it? Uh, well, I kind of forget now at this point, but uh, they called it something good, and uh, there it was, this sainted isle. <laughs> and uh, much of our, our uh, civilization has come from there. We know that uh, Shakespeare emerged from that sainted isle. Uh, much of our uh, drama and our literary and our drama criticism has come from the sainted isle. Where would we be today without Clive Barnes? You know, let's face it, he did not come from, from Indianapolis. And so we owe much. We're the only country in the world, by the way, that would get an Englishman to do a show about its own country, America. That's what we think of Englishmen in this country. Alistair Cook does a show called America. You can tell just from listening to him, he knows about America. Hey, by the way, can you imagine the reverse? Can you imagine the BBC getting Gene Shepard to do a show called Britain Today? Too late. No, I just wanted a little echo chamber. That's it. When I pointed the sky, it means echo chamber. Oh, it's all right. But uh, can you imagine the BBC uh, getting Gene Shepard to do a show called Britain? Yeah, no way. But I can imagine America getting uh, a show called uh, America and getting somebody like uh, uh, Alec Guinness to do it. That's an official. You're a little confused, Jerry. Is the problems going on here? No, that's all right. You don't have to worry about that. I, I will tell you this. When I ask for that over there, I'll do it by voice cue. Okay. That solves all the confusion. So you don't have to keep looking around and saying, huh, did he want that? Does he want... No, I'll tell you when I want it. Now, I, I just want to point out, though, that Britain has contributed so much to our world. Uh, first of all, uh, Britain uh, was, the, was the place that gave us Jack the Ripper. They've always led in crime. Contrary to popular opinion, the Britons have been always very good in crime. After all, where would Sherwood... Where would... Where would uh, where would the, the sheriff of Nottingham be if it wasn't for crime? I mean, after all, 
uh, Robin Hood, uh, he, he was uh, outside the law. We have to also recognize the fact that the, that the, that the such things as uh, the great train uh, and and diamond robberies and uh, the, all these were British. You know, it's a, the term highwayman is a British term. So crime has been part of the British Isles almost since the very beginnings when uh, they were still painting themselves blue. They were not only painting themselves blue, but they were hitting each other on the head with clubs, which even in those days was a crime. What do we think? One of the great major achievements of, of the British is the British system of justice. Correct? They wouldn't need a system of justice that achieves world importance if they didn't have crime. You don't have justice if you don't have uh, guys hitting each other on the head with uh, with wet socks filled with wet BBs. <laughs> you just don't. Now, on the other hand, what else did the British contribute to our folklore? Sherlock Holmes. Where would be Sherlock Holmes if it weren't for Moriarty? And Moriarty wasn't your average walking around Samaritan good guy. No way. And the uh, final, and uh, certainly not least, uh, what else? What other institution has been uh, greatly honored in the British world? Scotland Yard. Great Scott. Scotland Yard. Why, the idea of a Scotland Yard inspector somehow gives us a feeling of great security and uh, it's official. You just can't imagine Scotland Yard inspectors down at the OTB betting on a horse in the seventh. No way. <laughs> and yet they must do it. So we must salute British, the Britons, for their newest, their newest foray, their newest uh, in, uh, development in the world of crime. And it connects with hijacking of airplanes. In Cannock, Great Britain, the problem has taken a weird turn. The problem of hijacking airplanes. A tricky thief in this small English community is hijacking radio-controlled model airplanes. The hijacker tunes in on the model's radio frequency with his own radio-controlled device and changes the plane's course. And before the plane's owner realizes what's happening, his model turns left when it should have turned right, and it heads out of sight over the hills towards the thief's hiding place, which he changes every two or three days, and they cannot find out where he is. Those planes just disappear, and every day they go in a different direction. Now, if you think this isn't a crime, friends, some radio-controlled planes cost over 1,000 bananas. Yes, wow. You can very well say wow. Canucks model plane owners, and there's a great crowd of them in that town, the model plane is a big thing in Britain, are now up in arms about this new kind of skyjacking and are called and are calling today for investigations from Scotland Yard. Now, I can just see a Scotland Yard inspector, you know, in the classic. Uh, he, he, he's, he's, he drives up in his Humber. And they always have it in the movies. They always drive up in a Humber. If, if you're wondering what that car is, they have two cars that the British always use for the police, at least in the movies. The, the, uh, the Humber is very popular. Now, you don't see many of those in America, but it's a, it's a popular car with the British police. The Humber, and uh, occasionally you will even see a Wolseley. Now, I bet a lot of you never... Isn't that a classic name for an English car, the Wolseley? Wolseley. Oh, my God, he's driving another, another one of those Wolseys. Now, a Wolsey, <laughs> Wolseley, it's Wolseley. It looks the way it sounds. 
It's probably the final statement in true creative stodginess. And when a Scotland Yard inspector sergeant in his Mackinac and wearing his Hamburg hat with his guardsman mustache tools up with his assistant in his Wolseley, you know that the officials have come to town and they are not going to brook any interference from those on the other side of the law. And I'd like to see the scene. This inspector drives up in there's a bunch of kids playing with their model airplanes. And they, they're not really kids, you know. Model uh, gas-operated uh, radio-controlled model airplanes is not the uh, is not the thing that eight-year-old kids do, believe me. <laughs> and uh, here's this crowd of model airplane enthusiasts out there. They've lost three models this morning. And so the inspector arrives, and uh, he looks over the scene, and immediately this... this uh, this irate head of the model control club arrives on the scene, and he rushes up to the inspector. He says, I say, sir, he says, sir, we've lost two models this morning alone. And I tell you, as, as taxpaying members of the British Empire, by God, we want to see this stopped. He says, excuse me, please. You say you have lost five models this morning alone? By George, this is getting serious. Uh, I have only one solution. We have been discussing it at the yard... And we have decided that one of our inspectors must fly with a plane. There's a great premise for a, a Peter, a Peter, uh, let's see, what's his name again? No, not, not, uh, not, not, uh, no, not O'Toole. No, 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 no. The guys that make the carry-on movies, they're, that would be more of their type. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they make a model airplane that's big enough to carry an inspector in it, and it's radio controlled from the ground. And, 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 and sure enough, well, you could see the whole cockamamie story. But the, when I read this, you know, I, I read this thing, I thought, oh, boy, you're sitting out there laughing. Well, it is not a laughing matter, and I will tell you. Speaking of laughing matters, give me a little echo chamber, please, will you, please? Just one moment, please. I'll give you the cue for it. I'll give you the cue. Already in there? This is an important announcement coming up. Listen carefully. A very important announcement. A personal important announcement. Attention, victims. No echo chamber. Is there an echo chamber on me? Try it again. Hello. Well, there goes our echo chamber. Somebody stole the barrel. All right. Attention, victims. Here's your important announcement. This may be your last chance to get your autograph by me, of course. Copy of the infamous collection of unbelievable stuff, my new book, The Ferrari in the Bedroom. Now, listen carefully. I'm going to be out autographing, and last year we did a fantastic evening out on Long Island, and we're going to do it again, and we've been getting letters from kids for all over the island. When are we coming out? We are going to be there at Abraham and Strauss Saturday, May 5th, Saturday, May 5th at 2 p.m. in Abraham and Strauss in Hempstead, Long Island. And uh, you remember the wild scene we had there last time. It's going to be in the book department, of course. Again, I'm going to say Saturday, May 5th, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Abraham and Strauss, Hempstead, Long Island, and we will be signing copies of the Ferrari in the bedroom. And by the way, I want to, I want to thank the, if they're listening, the, anybody who's connected with the New Haven Register. They just wrote a fantastic review on the Ferrari, and, I, you know, that makes you feel kind of good. So this is WOR, New York.
And let's see, we've got a lot of other dinghies here. Uh, do you have one in there for us, Alvin, please? I proposed to my girl while I was driving my car. She said, I haven't heard a word you said so far. Your engine's so loud, I can't hear a sound. Get a rotary engine that goes round and round. It's an engine goes. But the Mazda goes. Well, I bought a Mazda and we went for a ride. Just me and the sweetie sitting side by side. It ran so quiet. We talked by the hour. That rotary engine gives you silent power. Just an engine goes. Got the Mazda goes. I thought she loved me, don't you see? But she loved my Mazda more than me. One day she drove off and left me behind. And all I could hear was that rotary engine whine. Just an engine goes. But the Mazda goes. Yeah. The beautiful Mazda. Don't let that Mazda get away from you. In White House, New Jersey, your Mazda dealer is Mazda of Somerset. I presume that's New Jersey. That's an old English name, Somerset. We have here with us tonight again, of course, as they always are, the House of Chan. And uh, you know what Chan's first name is? It's Mr. Suchan. S-O-U. Mr. Suchan. And he is on top of everything like a hawk, I'll tell you. That's one thing about people like Mr. Chen. They do not relax. He is watching his chefs. He is watching his waiters like a hawk. In fact, Su Chen is the Mandarin Chinese phrase, meaning he watches like vulture. Uh, it's even worse than a hawk. So if, you, uh, if you're looking for a reading, <laughs> you like that. Huh? <laughs> Can you imagine this, <laughs> this heavy-lidded Chinese vulture sitting back at a cash register? But uh, it's a great restaurant. It's at 52nd and 7th, and uh, right in the heart of everything there. And if you're going to the theater, I could not recommend a better restaurant. They have 22 chefs on duty, and they're all a specialist in each little specialty. And it's good food. They're there seven days a week, which is kind of nice to know. And uh, they have luncheons. They start out at noon, and you can have luncheons, and they have great dinners, and they're open till midnight. They have a bar. And you want to know that, too, I'm sure. House of Chen, 35 years at 52nd and 7th Avenue. Boom, ba-dum, boom. They say there's a time in life for everything. For Dubonnet, the time is before. Before, that's the time to think about some Dubonnet to drink. Before, the proper time of day to have yourself a Dubonnet. Before, yeah, before. Some wines are made to go with lunch or dinner, some after. But Dubonnet tastes different because it's made to go before. Before the steak, before whatever you've got cooking. Just pour it over the rocks, add a twist, soda if you like. That's Dubonnet before, made to make what comes after that much better. Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. 
correct him. Oh, oh, yeah, indeed. Merci beaucoup. If you're going to take a car tour of Europe, isn't it logical to start from the center of Europe, from a country where you can take easy side trips to France, Italy, Austria, and Germany? Well, that country in the center is called Switzerland. And it's a very logical country with a logical airline called Swiss Air. Swiss Air's bestseller are car tour packages to Zurich, Geneva, or Vienna. Cost from $400 for two weeks to $586 for three weeks. That includes a car with unlimited free mileage, two nights in a first-class hotel, the rest of the time in charming guest houses, and round-trip airfare to Switzerland. A logical country in an illogical world. An airline is a lot like the country it comes from. Yes, for more information, including detailed brochures, call or visit your travel agent or Swiss Air at 608 Fifth Avenue. You know, uh, I like that line in there, Switzerland is a logical country. That, of course, is in direct contrast with all the other countries. <laughs> That's one of the great things I like about Italy. It's a totally illogical country. <laughs> There's a certain amount of charm. But uh, speaking of... <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off there. I was going to hit you with a prosy. No, I might as well hit you with a prosy right now for the last couple of months here. We've been rapping here every night about prosy's two great stores. If you're an uh, Army-Navy store fan and a lot of guys... Are, these are essentially masculine, you know? Guys love to go to Army-Navy stores. If you, if you haven't visited Prozies, I'd like to recommend it. It's a great one. And if you really dig Army-Navy stores... Prozies Army Navy Store at 121 Main Street, 121 Main Street in picturesque Hackensack, and Prozies for Men and Boys at 35 Ridge Road in North Arlington. And uh, by the way, if you walk in and you stand there with your two feet planted apart in Prozies and yell at the top of your lungs, I listen to WR! They'll give you a Prozies famous landlubber poster free. They'll also probably throw you out into the parking lot. But you'll have your free poster. And that's kind of exciting. Uh, Prozies Army and Navy Store at 121 Main Street in Hackensack and Prozies for Men and Boys at 35 Ridge Road in North Arlington. If you know someone who wears clothes, and not all of us wear clothes these days, uh, they'd like to know about Prozies. Of course, if you know a lot of nudists, well, I know a great place where they sell all that bug spray. And... uh you know, it's the do-it-yourself kits and all. So, Prozies. Uh, hey, one more thing before we go any further. Gee, we're loaded here tonight, and this is not a commercial. But uh, we are changing our time, for those of you who listen to us, uh, and I trust there are eight or nine. Uh, we, beginning Monday, the 7th of May, will be heard at 11.15 p.m., which is great for me. I... I uh, you know, it's funny about time changes. Uh, uh, when when uh, the time that I was on for a long time was 11.15. This was, to me, the, my favorite time for my sort of thing. And when we left 11.15 time, there was a gigantic uproar. Of, we must have had mail all the way up to the air conditioning unit in uh, the office next door to mine. See, uh, that's the way our mail delivery works. And I was getting all this uh, stuff asking for raisin cookbook recipes for uh, the McCanns, you know. <laughs> so, so nevertheless, uh, there was a fantastic outrage, and, of course, now it's going to happen again. It's going to be a lot of people 
We're going to say, but I can't listen to you at 10.15. No, excuse me, it's 11.15, you're going in here. I can't listen to you then. I'm the... Well, I'm sorry. This is our way of separating the sheep from the goats. <laughs> Beginning um, <laughs> Monday, May 7th, we're going to 11.15. Yes, sir. You know, uh, I, I must say, though, uh, let's get the final one out of the way. What do you say, Al, huh? Hey, guess who was in here yesterday? Half a while ago. Let's change the time call yeah, for a beer. For or one or two or three. Come, I for ten, right? Goodbye. So I say, how come? Well, it seems half a while is walking his beat when he runs into this guy pulling a cart loaded with 23 cases of Valentine beer. So he asks the guy what he's doing with that much Valentine. And the guy tells him, Officer, I just love that beer so much. When I find it on sale, I buy it all up. Well, Heffelmeyer, he's still suspicious. So he says, okay, if you love Valentine that much, what do the three rings stand for? And the guy says, that's easy. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, well, that does it. And sure enough, they find out the beer's been swiped from O'Hara's delicatessen. And on account of what he's done, Heffelmeyer gets promoted to lieutenant, which is why I won't be walking a beat around here anymore. Some world, huh? Hey, let me get you another Valentine. On the house. Yeah. Now, Bill and Pine Mia is a product of the Falstaff Brewing Corporation, St. Louis, Missouri, and other cities. According to the uh, copy here we got. Uh, but uh, I must say that maybe, uh, maybe I, I uh, you know, I have never talked much about gas-operated uh, radio-controlled models. But let me say something to you about this thing. If you don't know anything about this hobby... You are missing one of the most fanatical crowds that ever walked this earth. There is something that gets you. If either you have been gotten by it or you haven't, it's like pregnancy. You either are or you aren't. There's no in-between. But if, 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 if model airplanes turn you on and uh, you know who you are, if model airplanes turn you on, you can never explain it to other people. And they just think it's a toy. They keep saying, now, who wants to mess around with one of them toys? Well, to a model airplane, cuckoo, uh, golf clubs are toys. They really are. When you look at it a certain way, it's a toy. It's a little club to hit a ball around with. It's a toy. Uh, and a model airplane is something else. It's, it's, involving, it's involving itself in the elements. And uh, you can have... You can have absolutely excruciating moments of not only disappointment, but crushing defeats in the model airplane world. And uh, I am privileged to say to you right here at this time that I count among my friends a guy who at one time held the U.S. indoor rubber-driven model endurance record. Now, that is something else again. In other words, he, he, he made a model airplane uh, of his own design and flew it in national competition against all the top model makers of the world. You know, I wish once somebody like, uh, say, the wide, wide world of sports would get hip to some of the really colorful sports around. You know, they're always showing demolition derbies. After about 30 seconds, they all look the same, all these 55 Chevys banging into each other. Or they show skiers, and after 10 minutes, every skier looks exactly alike. And uh, Jim Jensen is constantly getting excited. Oh, what a beautiful, oh, wow. You know, and they all look exactly the same. They just come down, and they fly off, and they come down, because they're all basically the same. 
But model airplanes have a fantastic variety among them. To the uninitiated eye, I suppose they do look the same, but they are not anything but. And, and, and to see a model airplane endurance record or a model airplane closed-circuit speed record being set, that is really something to see with a gas... Not, we're not even talking about gas models, which uh, most people are used to this. You know, see the guy with the, with the controlled model with the, uh, you know, with the control strings on it, and he's standing out there, and it's going, wow, wow, wow. We're not talking about that. We're talking about free-flying models, which are on their own when they get up there. That's very exciting. And, and uh, to watch gas, uh, or rather, even, even the ga- rubber part are more exciting, that this guy worked for about five years on his design. Now, to begin with, they have to get all kinds of special materials. The stuff is so light that ultimately the gas model, the heaviest thing in a gas model, or rather a rubber band model, I know why I keep saying gas model, in a, in a rubber-powered model, the heaviest thing in it is the rubber. Everything else is so carefully engineered and honed that it, it doesn't weigh much more <laughs> than, a, than a fat postage stamp. And, and uh, it has to have structural strength because you're, you're, you're tightening this rubber band to the point where if that, you know, and after all, when you tighten a rubber band, there's a lot of power involved. That rubber band gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So if you make this thing too structurally weak and too light, it, it just simply isn't going to go. It's going to break up. So it's a nice balance of all kinds of forces. And this guy at one time, this friend of mine, the greatest moment in his life, and he's a famous dentist now. He, he works as a dentist and and very few people know that he's had his moment of athletic glory. That he, uh, after, and it is, man, I'll tell you, because there are thousands of model makers in the country, if not millions. And out of the millions, probably there's something like 10,000 who get seriously involved in what could be called competition flying, you know, the big time. And out of the 10,000, gradually they begin to work down until finally the finals are, are, are flown and it has to be flown in a big place, obviously, like a like a like an armory or something, where there's a big high ceiling, and there's not much in the way of draft uh, air moving through it. The air is very important, and when these things take off, that is really something to see. And uh, I'll bet you never guess what his what his record was at the time, since it's been surpassed, but only by a few uh, seconds here and there. How long do you think a guy can keep a model airplane aloft? Uh, just driven by a rubber band flying under its own power. It's fascinating. And this thing just keeps going. <laughs> I mean, you can't believe it. It just keeps going. And, of course, they, they have to set the controls so that it, it makes the proper kind of circle because you must realize that if an aircraft banks too much, it, it loses altitude and gains, gains speed. It, it, uh, it t- the wing drops and the aircraft loses lift and it tends to drop in altitudes. So your banks have to be very carefully controlled so that it gets the maximum of uh, of turn with the minimum of loss of altitude and power and and the minimum of speed gain. So it's a whole lot of things going in this thing. And the day that he won the national championship with his model was was a fantastic moment in his life, of course, because, well, it was. It would be like winning the U.S. Masters in his field. And what's more... He designed it himself. 
Now, if you can imagine uh, Jack Nicklaus winning the Masters with golf clubs that he made himself down in his basement, and then he made the balls himself, you know, then you have a little idea of what he's doing. Uh, and so he won his thing, and, of course, he, he established a new world record at that time. It was a world record, a new world record for indoor of that class of plane, indoor powered, rubber band powered flight, and uh, he was like the world's best at this thing. And that airplane was the world's best. And that aircraft was put in the Hall of Fame of competition model aircraft builders. It's in a museum where the great models flew. And uh, this may be amusing to some of you, and I don't know why, because building a model airplane is, is a, I mean, a, a top model airplane is a real engineering feat, because your aircraft is an engineering feat in itself. And to build something that can do this that wins uh, a great title is a, is a real, real achievement. And, and, uh, and, of course, wherever he goes among modelers, it's like, uh, you know, he's, you know, modelers just flip when this guy shows up because it would be like, uh, you know, if, if, if some great, let's say if Ben Hogan or uh, uh, Byron Nelson, even more so, because Byron Nelson doesn't even compete anymore in golf. You know, he's, he's like a, like a uh, great golfer emeritus. Well, can you imagine what would happen out at the, uh, you know, out at the uh, uh, dismal seepage uh, hills golf club? You know, a bunch of guys sitting around one afternoon. If Byron Nelson arrived, just to have a beer with the boys. Good Lord! <laughs> Boy, there would be a, a moment of stunned silence. And that's exactly what my friend does. He, he gives the modelers a kick once in a while by just dropping in uh, at a meeting. And his name is legend among model builders. He truly is a legend. And they even have had subsequent models named after him, uh, like the Arnold Palmer model, would they say. So he's, he's really a legend. And some people think he's just sort of almost mythical because uh, he set this record. It was such a great record. And wherever he goes, his name is like synonymous with great models. Well, I, I too, was bitten by this bug. In fact, some kids are so much. Those who are, are a special breed of kid. And uh, to begin with, it takes every last cent that you've got. It's a, it's a dedicate, almost monkish in your dedication. And you must be prepared to lose every last cent, which is not the same as postage stamps. You buy a stamp, you got it. But can you imagine going out and saving your dough to buy a stamp and it blows up? No way. This is a common occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, one of the worst moments in my life came when me and Schwartz, who were jointly pooling our dough, building gas-operated models, uh, when, when we went out and after, like, saving all summer, all summer, we went uh, into Hawk, I mean, everything we had, our paper route, the whole bit, to buy this particular motor that we wanted to get for our, for our, our model that we had built. And we had worked on this model about eight or nine months. We built the model before we got the motor because building the model is building. It doesn't really cost that much to buy balls. So we didn't build it from a kit either. We built it, you know, straight from the, from the original plan. And we were building this magnificent model. And the plane that we built was called the Flying Quaker, which is a big five-and-a-half-foot wingspan, high-wing monoplane. Looked a little bit like... Uh, Oh, if you've seen pictures of the spirit of St. Louis, that type of aircraft, which is a conventional type. In fact, it was based on the, on the Cub, the J-3 Cub, 
design. And so we built this beautiful model. We'd been working about eight months down in Schwartz's basement with the, with the airplane glue, you know, with the, with the, with the, with the quarter-inch balsa, with the Japanese tissue. And uh, it was the summation of our model building experience. We'd been building a lot of other smaller ones, but we finally decided to build the Quaker, which was a big baby, and, and uh, really go into this. And it was radio-controlled. Now, both of us were into electronics. <laughs> and so, so uh, uh, at this point, you could not go out and buy radio-controlled equipment. I must assure you, you could not go to FAO Schwartz and buy your radio-controlled equipment with the transmitter and receiver. You built it. You built it from scratch and from plans. And that itself is quite, a, quite an operation. When you, when you have to build radio-controlled material that is carried by an airplane, that's miniaturization for starters. So... We, it was a whole year project. We worked and worked. I want to tell you, worked. And we had this radio control equipment working. You, you wouldn't believe how beautifully we got it working. We were sitting in the basement every day working the uh, relays. It's all, uh, it's all a matter of relays and, and uh, sensors. And we, we, had, had, we had got this thing to the point where it was working beautifully. By the way, the plans were out of uh, the National Model News, and, and it worked. And we, we had the ailerons moving, the rudders going, the whole bit. And we would work with our controls. And we finally got the controls worked on. The airplane was done, finished, absolutely sitting there waiting to go. Sprayed, painted. We had insignia. We even had uh, all kinds of, of, uh, of uh, competition. Uh, competition uh, in fact, we had the competition papers on the plane. Well, then that summer, it's now about May, we've got to get an engine now. We've got to get the motor. Well, we knew what motor we wanted. It was built by an outfit in Cleveland called Brown. They were building a lot of great model motors of the time. And so we went down to the place where we bought all our clothes. There was that magnificent motor sitting inside the glass case in a plastic container, all shiny and glowing. It was like a jewel. <laughs> a beautiful motor. And so we started to save. Well, we must have saved about three months to, to, to raise the scratch to get that motor. And we got it. And the day we brought that home, it was a great day. Uh, we, we brought it home on Schwartz's bike, and we took it down to the basement. We set it up on a, on a vise uh, so we could try it. We put it up on a vise, you know, put the little blocks and clamped it down, and uh, we put the droppers, a few of them in this thing, and we, we, uh, we, we gave it a couple of kicks with the dry cells. Wow! She goes, wow! And we tried it again. Wow! At that moment when she caught me. You know how model airplane motors sound. It's great roar and the blue smoke. Oh, my God, Meridian. And so the next week we spent mounting the motor in the motor blocks, the engine blocks, which were really just heavy pieces of hard wood, which were in the nose of the airplane. And it had to be very carefully put in there because you didn't want to offset your weight balance and move it back and forth. We had to keep getting the center of gravity right with and without fuel and all that sort of thing. We get this thing laid in, and now it's ready to go. Well, there's one thing about model airplanes of this type. You cannot try them in your kitchen. Not when it's five-and-a-half-foot wingspan. <laughs> no way. Uh, there's just no way to do it. There's only one way to try a model once it's it's gone through its gliding tests. And we had glided the thing with the motor, and we were taking it out and gliding this baby. And we, we, we were practicing, seeing how, how, she, how she glided with 
fuel, how she glided without fuel, how it started with and without fuel. And so finally, after, after about a week of tests, on this beautiful spring day, it was just, you know, one of those kind of days when hope springs eternal in the human breast. And that's the thing about, about the technically-minded kids. Technically-minded kids have great ups and downs in their lives. Do you agree, Skip? I mean, uh, the great up is when something really works. You really pulled it off. And the great down is when the reverse happens. And or, while you're playing around with it, you blow out a transistor that's going to cost you $9. I mean, and that happens so quickly you wouldn't believe it. So, so, I mean, your hopes go down the drain in about eight and a half milliseconds. It's unbelievable. To those of you who've never known these excitements, it's like, well, there's no, nothing in the world of sports that, that even parallels it. Your, your hopes can explode in, in quicker than you can tell. And for something you didn't even foresee, happens. And so we got out on this, this field where all the, all the guys who were in this gas model club that we were in. We were in a gas model club. You're curious what they were called? They were called the Calumet Aero Club. Calumet region being the Calumet where we were doing it. And the Aero Club. You know, very fish. We even had pins, you know, big big gold wings on our plane, the Calumet Aero Club. And so we went out this Saturday. And a lot of kids out there, guys, older guys. This is a very serious hobby. This is not. We were really one of the youngest crowd in this thing. These are older men. Because it takes that to do this stuff. And we got out with our flying Quaker. It was the first flying Quaker seen on that field. That's why everybody was excited about it. Because everybody else was building models of more conventional aircraft, like Curtis Robin, uh, J-3s, uh, Curtis Tomahawks, and that kind of stuff. We showed up with a, with a Quaker. Now, the Quaker was famous for one thing. It had been written up over the, over the uh, months and years. The Quaker was legendary because it had set several records. You know, other guys had built this thing, and it was a record-setting aircraft. It was it had a reputation. And so, here we are out on the field. And so, the first test we tried on, we had a, we had an eyedropper, and we put in about four drops of fuel so that the thing would have a flying time of maybe, oh, we figured about uh, 30 seconds, and it would run out of fuel, which is fine. It's the way you test it, see. And so we kicked it off. Oh, man, she's roaring. And we test the controls, you know, operating the radio controls and everything that works. We let her go off into the wind, and she took off. Oh, she flew like a bird. And she just took off around the field and just made a beautiful circle of the field. And Schwartz says, let's see if we can get it climbing, see. And he, 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 he pushes the controls forward, and I says, okay, it's my turn. And so we're, we're playing around, getting it down the left, left bank, and it made two big left turns on the field and, and started to climb. Well, one of those things happened and, 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 and taught me something which I have never forgotten. There's something out there, friends, called nature. And it's not always your best buddy. Well, the airplane, instead of remaining in level flight, began to climb because there was a strong up thermal over the field because of, it was spring and the cooler air down below, the hot air up above, and the plane started to climb. Well, she's still under power. She's now about six or 700 feet in the air and spiraling. And Schwartz made a, 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 a classic mistake. 
He says, I'm going to bank it down to the left, and I'm going to bring it down into a figure eight, and I'm going to try to keep it over the field. The, the, the thing starts to climb, and that instant, now as a pilot, I know what happened. The instant that plane started to climb, she fell off on a wing and stalled. It was a power stall. You know what a power stall is like, flyers? It was a power stall, fell off on a wing, and she went into an uncontrolled 90-degree left-hand spin. This has killed many a pilot. Well, that thing starts down, straight down, in a tight spin, flipping over and over and over. Schwartz says, stop it! Here, take the controls! Yeah, take the controls, and I start with nothing. And guys are running around, stop it, quick! You know, reverse the controls, nothing. That thing is winding up. And she just headed straight down from 800 feet, and I saw that last instant, it's about seven feet from the ground, and she just bored in and... months of work spread over a quarter of an acre I mean this was a power left hand spin which meant that our motor our pride and joy our jewel hit the ground first I might also point out it was rocky ground it hit the ground first and the engine literally bored into the ground about four inches. It made a hole in the ground. A hole that was, by the way, lined with bits of metal from our engine. Pieces of that airplane were over about a quarter of an acre. It was all over. That brief moment in the sun. That brief instant flashing in that beautiful air. And so now I can only say I sympathize with those guys in England where airplane model hijacking is going on. You hear that, Skip? They're hijacking models. There's a thief who's got himself a radio control and he's steering the planes away from the field and stealing. Oh, my God. When will crime never cease? And uh, one more thing. Don't forget, this Saturday, May... This Saturday, May 5th, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Abraham and Strauss, Hempstead, Long Island. We're going to be there, and we're going to sign in books and yell and holler and eat Twinkies and, you know, just mess around like you do in Long Island. That's Saturday, 2 o'clock, A&S, Hempstead. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Big Lester Smith and the News. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR Newsroom. East Brunswick, New Jersey police said tonight that authorities are certain that a captured man is one of three civilians involved in the Monday shootout in the New Jersey Turnpike in which a state trooper was killed. The suspect's been identified as Clark Squire, last known address, 274, West 135th Street in Manhattan. Squire was arrested late this afternoon as police said he was spotted hiding in a wooded area in East Brunswick. Meanwhile, Joanne Chesimard was arraigned today in an East Brunswick hospital on several charges, including murder, armed robbery, and assault and battery on a police officer. She is accused of participating in the shooting that left one state trooper dead and another wounded. 
The woman is also wanted here in New York City for bank robbery, murder of two police, and other attacks on police. Another man, James Coston of the Bronx, was killed in the shooting that started after the troopers had investigated the license and registration of the car in which the three civilians were riding. The New York State Assembly tonight passed Governor Rockefeller's narcotics enforcement legislation with two amendments. One change would ease penalties for first-time minor drug offenders 